G'day everyone, it's James Davis, Director of Academy for PAX8 down here in APAC and I've got Elliot joining me again, one of our fantastic SEs leading the charge with cybersecurity. He's a bit of a guru and excited to have you back, Elliot. How are you going? Yeah, pretty good, James. Um, excited just to come off the back of these cybersecurity launches that we uh, we had with Adelaide and Perth, finish, finishing off our last piece of the legs um, around Australia. Um, we had some really good um, engagement from a lot of the partners uh, through there. So really excited to see everyone sort of pumped around cybersecurity. I know it's a daunting um, task in, in many cases and a daunting to uh, topic in general. So uh, it's good to see there's a lot of interest on, on that side. I'm working, getting to see a whole bunch of partners again. What what do you what are your takeaways? What are the, what are some of the wins that people have got, and what are, what are um, people still struggling with? Yeah, I think there's a there's a lot of um, there's a lot of noise out there, particularly around you know vendors offering different solutions. Um, there's a lot of ambiguity around you know what is an EDR what is a backup and what I need to have so um, I think that's where we can do a, a better job on, on sort of providing a little more, bit more direction um, and potentially using things like frameworks to understand what we actually need to deliver as part of a security stack um, partners know that they need it um, for the most part uh, they just in many cases don't know where to start so many choices, isn't there? I'm, I'm getting the same sort of feedback. It, most people, I think, have hit that point, have had so much um, time to learn and realise the implications of cybersecurity and the opportunities. And and now a lot of people are going, uh, asking us, especially, where do I start? What, where do I get started? Um, and this is this brings me to our topic today. And throw out a question: There is, where do we get started with building our security stack and is stack even the right mindset and um, terminology for this? Maybe that's a good place to start. Yeah, I think most of the MSPs I speak to are already doing some elements of security today, right? whether that's simple things like patch management, um, you know, which is security 101, some sort of backup solution, some sort of endpoint protection solution. So I think the, the the partners already got a baseline practice in place, right? Um, password management, MFA, all of those components sort of start to settle in on the, on, on the baseline that they look should be looking at, at delivering. Um, in many cases, they just need more structure and process around how that all fits together and have a better story on how to deliver that to their clients, uh, explain what they need to be doing. Um, that's why things like frameworks, right, really help with that. Um, the Essential 8, a lot of Australian and even New Zealand partners are using the Essential 8 as their guideline um, to sort of create those baselines. But there are challenges in there as well. Um, you know, the Essential 8 is a baseline practice and there's a lot more we could and should be doing, right? And that's where other frameworks might come into, into the fray as part of guidance into those next steps. Um, what I generally recommend, uh, and we talked about this on the roadshow as well, is for partners to start somewhere, right? Uh, do what they have or, or use what they have today, put that into some sort of cybersecurity uh, strategy, right? And use that as their stepping stone into the next stage, right? Because if they're, you know, if they linger on that and wait and try to build out this massively robust security uh, uh, strategy, it's going to take them months if not years to sort of put that all together uh and you know bad actors aren't going to wait around for that um so you know one of the one of the discussion points that came up um uh, during the road shows was all right where do i start 
um, and that's where um, you know use all those fundamental things that you have today to create your baseline um, and then and then expand on that uh, as time uh, uh, persists um, but also leverage the wealth of information that's out there right don't try to go it alone right there are industry experts out there that offer a wealth of information um, you know myself you we're always happy to sort of engage in that those type of uh, conversation with partners and sort of help them get to that next uh, next evolution in their security journey that's a really interesting point about the baseline like we as MSPs especially we've always spoken around how we've done a lot of security practices in the past and one of the things I'm excited to see in terms of the industry moving and a win for me is we're not calling ourselves security experts anymore. We've gotten past that. We don't know what we don't know stage and we're, we we can see the wide world of cybersecurity. Um, and, and one of the things we spoke about um, with a lot of partners is the need to um, scope our current services and start building that consistent package across our clients. There's a lot, a lot of what you mentioned there of, you know, some clients might have a password manager, some clients might have MFA, but it's not all clients have all this baseline um, standards applied. And so, like you said, it's a really good place to start and there's a lot of money to be made um, just from doing that, uplist through projects, get some, use it as a way to reframe your package and do an uplift to your current services if you're, if you're undercharging as well, or potentially wrap up a new package and um, have those services and just make them more prominent to show that your your value prop is changing from the old school ways of fixing what's broken. Um, so just to play a theoretical thing for you, Elliot, and ask you a question. Let's just assume I've done that. I've done that good baseline stuff. I've updated my contracts. I've got consistent coverage across my clients. What would be the next step? What what would I be looking at building in my security solution? Yeah, there's so many places you go to from um, you know from from those key aspects that we looked at from a from a security baseline. But um, if I was to you know begin my security journey, I would really focus on you know, preventative measures. Uh, look at you know, focus on items that are going to prevent uh, an incident from a threat from actually taking place in the first place. Um, you know, if we look at things like backup as an example, those are the last piece of the puzzle usually, right? You don't use backup until all else fails. So, um, you know, that is, for a long time, that's been used as my backup to things like ransomware, right? Uh, my, my protection against ransomware. Um, that's not a good methodology as we've seen with some of the new threats that, that have occurred over the last 18 months to 24 months. Um, you know, that doesn't prevent against extortion attacks. That doesn't prevent against breaches and loss of data um, because you were just recovering that data and recovering from those type of incidents. So I think for, for partners where they should be focusing on is things I can do to actually prevent those attacks from occurring. So that would lead down to simple things like, you know, understanding where what your assets are, right? Um, so if I use the CIS controls as a framework that we talk a lot about here at Pax8, um, you know, one of the first two steps that they do is identify your assets, your applications, your software, your hardware assets, right? Understand the value of them and then you can drive yourself forward from there and that'll help to identify what sort of strategy you need to put in place once you understand the value of the data, the, the infrastructure you're trying to protect. 
Um, then it moves into more uh, those preventative items. Uh, you know, once you've identified those pieces, which is, you know, where's where does the biggest risk lie, right? And where can I sort of overcome those biggest risks, right? They're going to be key things, simple things like enforcing MFA, um, adding a password manager to make sure, uh, and not just putting in a password manager, but enforcing good password policies in hygiene. Uh, there's no point in having a password manager out there with every single application that you have having still the same password, right? So being able to randomize those uh, uh, periodically as well. A lot of that comes down to changing the culture, um, you know, culture of the users, because uh, a lot of them don't know what they don't know, much like, you know, MSPs, you know, who are new to the security landscape. Um, we need to be those leaders in that space and help help coach and, and make sure that users know what they should be looking out for uh, to identify those threats. And that, that last point you made around the, the enabling the end user, I, I found when you were presenting that at the roadshow, sparked a lot of thoughts for people around the opportunity there. Um, we've been, a lot of MSPs especially are struggling with the value prop and the commoditization and that tight knit relationship that we built the, uh, built our business off the, the back of is sort of disappearing because we're not getting the huge amount of phone calls to our help desk all the time and we're not having as much interaction with the wider user base as what we probably would have in the past. And that opportunity to do instructor-led um, security awareness training and, and properly enabling people when we are rolling things out like password managers and stuff is not something I'm noticing a whole lot of people um, doing. Have you seen many people doing that well or is the industry as a whole doing it? Like where do you think that sits? Yeah, unfortunately not. A lot of the um, partners I speak to who who identify that security awareness training or, or something like that is important. Um, in their minds, a lot of the time, they're just grabbing a tool, you know, creating a, a baseline type of training plan and a type of phishing campaign, if, if, if that exists within the, the tool set they, they have access to. Um, but they're not following up and they're not really identifying whether the users are taking that aboard. Right? In many cases, a lot of the the training videos they go through are things you can just click through, you can make up, you know, you can hopefully select the right uh, uh, multiple choice question at the end of it uh, and pass. But is that effective? In many cases, you know, we've seen that's not, right? If, we, if I was to run a phishing campaign for um, for a bunch of users who've gone through training, you know, if it's, if, you know, if it's a good one, I'm most likely going to get a, some sort of hit, right? Some sort of failure against that, that campaign. And that's where I think we need to do a little bit more. And, and what I talked about with instructor-led training is, um, you know, that provides a lot more scope into helping understand where the user are actually at in terms of their awareness. Um, but it creates the opportunity where we can actually get in front of, you know, the wider audience within a particular client, um, including their, you know, C-suite or their executive levels to make sure that they have, an, the ability to identify in um, in a live scenario where their user actually at, rather, rather than trying to run through a report, which can be manipulated. Um, so using that instructor-led 
courses is something that I recommend, and, and this is something that was coached to me by you know, mentors of mine in the past, um, it can be a lot more effective just to be able to have that additional security conversation with the executives because you're getting them in front of the action and actually seeing firsthand where their potential risk lie. Um, what that can also do is create additional opportunities. Um, you know, I, I spoke that you know, if a company has a board, um, you know, invite those board members into that um, into that same type of environment. Um, in many cases, that creates um, additional lead gen, uh, gen because those board members are typically board members for other companies as well. Um, so that gives you the ability to, you know, uh, uh, have a greater reach. Um, maybe um, you know, look at net new companies that you otherwise haven't had the opportunity to open up before. So there's a number of reasons why you can go down that path. And that that's one opportunity that could create high value engagements. But if we if we take it back and and think around the sort of baseline activities that you were outlining and what we might want to do for our stage our stage two in, in rolling out further technical controls. A lot of partners are struggling with where to get started, what, what they should be having in their, their security solution. Um, and you'll notice everyone, I'm not calling it a stack because one thing that I spoke about at the, at the roadshows quite a lot is we're pricing up our, our stacks without labor. Um, and we're not taking into account all the effort that we need to do um, in actually managing security and um, managing compliance. And it's going to come back to bite us. So when we're looking at our solutions, you mentioned frameworks a few times, but what sort of things are we typically looking at for that baseline, that sort of slightly advanced beginner level that most small businesses are going to engage with at the moment and, and, and spend money on. What are we covering in this security solution? Yeah, great question. And I think it, it, depending on who you speak to, that's going to have a different answer. Um, but from from my perspective, um, you know, I, I talked about preventative measures quite a bit, right? So if I was looking at you know, how, what I deliver as part of my baseline, again, it's going to be those key things, your, you know, EMFA, your password managers, uh, you know, backup and EDR or EPP sort of comes into that framework. A lot of, a lot of the partners are doing that already. Um, but what what a lot of them don't utilize is some of the, the functionality that already exists, right? If you're using Microsoft Business Premium as an example, a lot of the Microsoft security components uh, uh, become available to you through that. Um, you know, being able to, you know, use things like autopilot combined with um, uh, with Intune or Endpoint Manager as it's now called, um, can have the ability to then create that identity layer, right? So you can make sure that you're first, um, you know, moving into that sort of zero trust framework, um, first identifying, should you be a part of the organization? And then using that conditional access that's available throughout as well, to then determine what you can and can't do within that environment. So all these little things that are available with a lot of partners who, you know, standardize on business premium today, they aren't taking advantage of, they're relying on third party uh, uh, solutions. Um, in many cases, you know, you may get to a point where a third party solution makes more sense. Right, and but at that point, right, you still need to start somewhere. There's additional costs that obviously come with utilizing a third-party solution. So why not take advantage of what's available to you now with the with the uh, you know functionality that's available through the tools you have today? 
Yeah, I think that's a great point. It's it's something I think we're I'm seeing time and time again. People are getting stuck in paralysis analysis uh, analysis paralysis at the moment. They really um taking so long to sort of get that perfect stack rather than going what can we actually action that we're going to set um, improve our client environments and what can we do on a project basis what what makes sense on an easy recurring basis and like you just said what have we already got that we should just set up properly um to to reduce risk um and this is this is why we're talking about solutions not a stack because the problem is that i see is the the stack isn't going to stay static the, the threats are changing what we need to what we need to do and focus on is going to change over time and, and you spoke quite a lot about that sort of taking taking your clients on a journey. Um, and I, I'm, I've noticed you aren't mentioning SOC and SIEM services in everything that we're talking about. And that's why I hear a lot from the from the partners. So why aren't you mentioning things like SOC and SIEM? Yeah, well, we, you know, when I focus on baselines, um, you know, SIEM services generally aren't aren't something that partners usually focus in on, especially when they're sort of getting started in their journey or sort of looking at sort of branching that out. Um, I think down the track, it will become more important, particularly as um, regulation changes and, we, you know, there's a requirement around auditing and things like that. We're not quite there yet, but there is probably opportunity once you're at that step to get ahead of that game for when the government decide to implement those types of regulations, particularly as, um, you know, it's looking more and more like we're going to sort of um, have some sort of GDPR style um, regulation or, or enforcement coming through. Um, but there is a lot of other things we can do as part of that. Um, EDR, uh, MDR, uh, as you said, or SOC services, um, you know, that, that that could be potentially something you can add in, particularly if you don't have the necessary knowledge, capabilities, resources, and, and even experience under your belt to sort of tap into. Um, you know, a, partners I've spoke to, uh, have a lot of them have considered it. Um, they just don't ha know how to articulate the sort of value add to that. Um, maybe because of the, the conversations they have with your clients and don't want to pay additional you know, services to them. But in many cases, it's just weighing out. It's just passing on the, the, the legwork to someone else on the back end who's got more experience. And in many cases, that'll probably you know, provide more value add than if you try to do it in-house in house with the own resources that you had. So the, it, it really depends on where you are within your journey and, and, and how you want to jump, uh, jump into that. A lot of vendors are talking about the MDR services now. Um, you know, a lot of vendors we have on our line card as well um, are, have introduced that or are introducing some form of uh, MDR uh, in the future. Um, and that seems to be the, the you know, the, the key thing they're focused on at the moment. But I think the first thing we need to do is make sure that the partners understand it, understand the value and know how to sort of build that out as part of a security strategy. I'm a bit dumb. What does EDR, MDR and XDR actually mean? And what is the difference? <laughs> I know you're not that dumb, but um, no, great question. Um, I think there's a lot of, a lot of confusion in the marketplace and every vendor unfortunately has their own sort of take on what all of those things are. But from my mind, there's a, there's a few ways to easily distill this down to something that's sensible that all partners can probably take away, right? Um, EPP is generally your traditional AV, 
right? Um, you know, they are things that look for signature-based attacks. So that's a something that has been discovered before, held in a database somewhere that they can tap into, right? Something that is a known process, something that is known for that technology to identify, right? EDR sort of takes it a, a, a next step beyond that signature-based attacks. Um, in many in some instances, it's called next-gen AV or next-gen EBB. Um, but EDR effectively adds two things to it, is the ability to identify behavioral elements to it, right? The example I generally use when you're looking for behavioral type uh, uh, incidents is if someone, if you go through and open up an email and click on an attachment within an email, if that attachment starts kicking off processes that is considered abnormal behavior, such as a Word document that kicks off the PowerShell scripts, well, that's abnormal. So those are the type of behavioral elements it's looking for. Things that it doesn't, it's not known, uh, it's an unknown behavior that that, that that particular process or that particular application should be running, right? The second thing it adds in is the ability to do a true incident response. That is the ability to potentially remediate and recover from something like a, a malware or ransomware attack, right? So that is potentially uh, you know, being able to change or revert any changes that occur as part of an incident, uh, revert that back to a pre-incident pre state, right? Um, MDR takes that next level, which is manage, detect, and respond, uh, which is effectively you know, offloading the work, the management of incidents uh, and the response capabilities to an off-site SOC, right? Um, it's effectively a managed SOC for your for your EDR or your endpoint de uh, detecting response, so that they can do that 24/7. So for a lot of partners who don't have a true 24/7 service, well, in many cases that can provide additional value because MDR is truly 24/7. So if something occurs at midnight when your entire team's asleep, um, you know that you've got that um, peace of mind in the back end that someone's looking into it, someone is responding on the back end to those particular types of uh, 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 insecurity incidents. Um, and then the final piece of that is the next evolution of, of EDR or endpoint uh, protection is XDR, which is you know stands for Extended Detect and Respond, which is just um, uh, looking at everything beyond the endpoint. Right, so EDR is focused just on the endpoints, so your workstations, your servers. XDR is looking for other sources beyond that, right? And that's where um, there is a confusion on how XDR and SIM work um, as part of a solution, because effectively they do the same thing. They both ingest logs or information from other security servers, like your email security platforms, your firewall platforms, things like that, and then correlating that information to understand what I need to do next as part of a remediation step. The difference between SIM and XDR specifically, though, is SIM only correlates that and provides you with a plan of action that someone needs to go through and manually undertake, right? A technician, a, a security officer within the uh, within the partner environment. The XDR, if they can get it right, and when they do get it right, has the ability to automate a lot of that response. So it can send commands back to a firewall, for example, to do something as part of an incident response case. So that's where, if I was to still those in in you know in simplest terms, that's what you'll be looking for as part of those different categories. And I think a lot of partners um, you know get told different things from you know different areas across the internet, uh, and it does get confusing sometimes. So if I was to still it down, those are the, the those are the ways I would summarize it. I feel a lot smarter now. It's I, I feel it is part of that challenge of 
us building security solutions is there is a lot of that marketing jargon going around that just creates so much more ambiguity. So filling those holes of what we need to provide for our clients becomes very difficult. And I, I do see I do see partners struggling with do I go EDR, MDR, XDR without even understanding what the difference is for them to be able to make it uh, make a decision. So I think it's very valuable information that a lot of people skim over and don't give enough um, credit to, to partners about. Um, I think. So I've got an, another question for you. Take, take it along these lines of building out our security solution. You touched on things like identity management through um, M365 and business premium, and you've mentioned the EDR and MDR and XDR and all the other R's. What, what areas do you think um, partners aren't seeing in cybersecurity? Because maybe they're coming from a traditional background where it's been very infrastructure heavy and very specific ways that we've done it in the past. What what, what sort of things are you seeing that um, partners should go have a look at and decide whether it's a fit for them or not? Um, <clears throat> yeah, when I, again, I'm going to go back to what I've been mentioning about preventative uh, security. So, you know, if I was to look at something that, that is going to reduce the most risk in an organisation for my clients, um, I'd be looking at things that's going to stop the threat app. So um, things like, you know, Email security is one of the, I think, the most important pieces there because, you know, when we look at the stats, 90% of all um, security incidents come through email. Uh, when we look at, um, you know, where a lot of breaches occur, they occur through browsers and, you know, um, and that's where web security solution, like a, some sort of DNS filtering or DNS uh, security solution comes into play. So those are going to uh, be the, the two things that's going to drastically reduce your risk. Uh, but standardizing with things like MFA and password managers, right? And then, you know, some of the newer things that are coming up in, in conversations a lot more these days is things like, you know, zero trust, right? Um, zero trust is a, is a fairly broad term, but those are things where, we, you know, we want to be able to identify, again, through that identity layer, right? Are you someone that should be part of my organization? And if so, what should you have access to? Right, basically authenticating that person and making sure that they are actually an employee of that company or should have access to particular content. Um, you know that leads on to you know the the SASE, the SASE type uh, solutions, um, secure access, secure edge, because um, the networks are no longer hidden behind a firewall. Right, they're anywhere and everywhere. Um, so by being able to put some sort of uh, additional sort of broader uh, network in place where we're not just relying on firewalls to, to do that traffic. We're actually looking beyond that and saying, all right, well, I've got users that work from home. I've got users that, you know, travel quite a bit and they can check in from any Wi-Fi location. Those are the aspects I need to now look at in terms of adding preventative measures in place. And I can't rely on a firewall for someone who's not going to use a firewall to tap into my infrastructure. So there are it's it's changed now with that modern workplace in terms of you know where our strategy should be, uh, and that's where all these um, um, that's where our focus in more of the preventative measures um, when it's nice to have to have all these recovery efforts that you have using some sort of backup and, and uh, endpoint detection and all of those other tools that you would sit on the back end. You mentioned very early on in this piece around like the first CIS controls with 
inventory. Is, is that something that you're seeing a lot of partners focus on and knowing what they need to secure? Is that something that we that gets fallen out of this thought process when we're, we're developing our security solution? Or do you think partners have got this stuff covered and we can tick those boxes off? I think a lot of partners think they've got it covered um, because that's expanded now. So generally, Generally, when partners focus on assets, they're looking at uh, what endpoints are out there, what infrastructure is out there. A lot of them probably have that down pat. Uh, they might have a spreadsheet somewhere on how they're managing that. Um, you know, through certain RMMs and vulnerability management tools, they can identify what applications are on those particular devices as well. But when we look at the, the broader terms and, and realize that there's a lot of applications that uh, outside of those endpoints that we don't necessarily have visibility into, such as you know if you're using something like Zero from a for, it's purely cloud, it's a purely purely SaaS based uh, uh, technology. That's not something you're going to be that's discoverable through um, through an endpoint. So those are things that you know uh, a lot of those cloud based environments where we now tap into are done through the browser, and that's why things like DNS security become more important. Um, but we can have or put in some strategies in place to sort of lock that down a bit and understand, you know, what those assets are by doing a, a, a proper business review, sitting down with a client and actually ascertaining uh, what else do you use inside of your business that you may not have advised upon. That that may be some some entry point if those were compromised, right, or had some sort of vulnerability. Is that something from a supply chain perspective that they um, uh, that a bad actor could utilize to get in get inside my network and and uh, expose me to some sort of data breach sounds like it's a lot of work and should cost a lot of money um, do we just give it away for free or should we be looking at when we're doing these security solutions and tying more into advice and these ongoing engagements do you see many partners doing that I think partners um, generally like to give away things for free just to sort of get uh, you know get clients on board. Um, I generally discourage that only because I think it does a disservice to the industry and disservice to the value that they're bringing. Um, you know, at the end of the day, partners are trying to be that trusted advisor. Um, you know, and if they're giving away for free, generally the client, just from a psychological point of view, won't take that. Um, uh, you know, they might you know, park it somewhere and read it on a later day stage if they've got a free report or a free security assessment or whatever you want to call it. Um, that's where I, I do recommend charging for those type of uh, situations because, you know, the, the one thing that will come out of it is because they're paying for it, they've actually got to do something with it and, and hopefully they sit down with a conversation with you. Um, if I was to put it, use an analogy, if you went to a doctor, they're always going to charge you for that service. Right, just to get that initial assessment, right? What's you know, what are your symptoms, right? Here's the next steps to it. Um, I don't think partners put enough value on on the experience that they've had, right, to do things properly. And and I think we all need to start uh, uh, jumping in on that and and working together to make sure that we're uh, billing appropriately and making sure the the value and the experience that we've all had over the years. Um, you know, is understood by those client uh, clients. Right? And in many cases, if they fight you on it, if there's objections that constantly push back, um, you know, I've spoken many times and that may be the case where that client is probably just not a good fit for you, right? And you should move on to the next one that will buy into what you're trying to sell them or, you know, buy into what you're trying to do. And, and that is to prevent and, and uh, reduce their security risk at the end of the day.
I think that's some great advice. And you, you just touched on the medical concept of, um, you know, the experience we've got and you go to a GP and you, you get that sort of assessment and then you get it um, sent to a specialist. Us as MSPs especially have always been that generalist and we've always thought we need to do absolutely any everything for our client. Um, but you already touched on the MDR as the, getting an outside party to put their special specialty into our our business and take some load off us. And as we're running very lean, don't have enough people running running very very thin on the ground, um, and as wages are going up and up. It's an opportunity there to, to view things in a different way. So one of the points that I'd make as well is like MDR is a good option, especially for the smaller um, smaller MSPs and technology providers. Um, but also you've mentioned a lot around securing your own house um, and very few people I've come across have got anyone watching their, their stuff. Um, can I throw you a hand grenade? Um, <laughs> what do you reckon? Are, are MSP safe? Are they the are they the smallest risk profile for their clients? What does it look like? No, they'd probably be the largest risk uh, profile when we look at um, you know common supply chain attacks. Um, you know when we look at what an MSP generally has access to within their client environments through their remote tools, through their RMM, and through some of the information they've got access to. You know, their, their CSV licensing, as an example, um, they're probably at most risk, right? If I, if I was a bad actor today, right, I have a better chance of going in and attacking the MSP. And once I've got access to their environments, I've got access to dozens, if not hundreds, of clients, depending on how big the MSP is, versus uh, you know attacking a client on a on a, a singular basis. So um, that's where the the risk uh, grows substantially from an MSP perspective. And and you're right. You know, in many cases, they should be protecting their own house. Um, you know, in, the term eat your own dog food uh, comes up a lot. Um, you know, that is something a lot of partners should be doing and standardizing, you know, what they're promoting and recommending to their clients to be actually doing themselves. Um, but I want to expand that a little bit. There are some, uh, you know, the, the risk that partners see right, are also going to be different to what your clients see. So there's almost a, the need for additional security layers or additional controls and access that needs to be put in place, um, particularly for a growing MSP that has different roles and, and different levels of experience that need to be injected as part of that. Um, you know, your, your level one tech versus your managing director should not have the same level of access, right? Because there's just a different level of experience within that. So there's a lot more that needs to be put in place um, from, from an MSP uh, in their own practice. Um, but the security, you know, is just, if, if not even more important uh, than what they should be delivering on their client side. Fantastic advice. And I know we can, we could talk, keep talking about this for ages and ages and we're coming up to time. I've, already got some takeaways and I know we've been very particular around now making sure people have next steps so I've taken away from from today if we don't have a security solution yet start with that baseline of what are you doing already and what are some logical additions to get started leverage what you've got if if you've got 365 as a major environment well look at upgrading to business premium and start leveraging that more and then start understanding 
your client risk profiles properly and understanding the risks and the regulations and the technology for now and into the future to do that sort of stage two um, security security solution. What, what do you want to leave everyone? Uh, what's your golden nugget to, to finish off? What's your final final thought to, to leave with all the partners? I think the main thing is, um, you know, partners try to do this themselves and try to sort of weed through all the noise that's out there in the market. Um, you know, you don't have to do this alone. So uh, that's where, you know, here at Paxate, we've got a lot of people that you can speak to um, and hopefully provide a bit more guidance. Um, you know, we have a lot of collateral that, that you can leverage. Um, you know, just have a talk to us and, 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 you know, we can guide you through those next steps through that process. Um, you know, our framework's going to help, but understanding those frameworks is important too. And sometimes just speaking to someone even if it's just your peers, understanding what they're doing in the market, what they're doing well, what works, what doesn't, uh, that's going to go a long way into making sure that you're on the right track in your journey. I think it's a fantastic thing to wrap up on. You don't have to be there doing it alone. Um, it's not like when we first started our MSPs and we're flying blind, we've got a huge community and ecosystem and there is a bunch of SMEs running around that can, that, that can help you and you're already flat out busy, let alone trying to deal with all this, all Absolutely. this added noise. So they awesome having you, Elliot. I uh, look forward to getting you to jump on again in a few, in a few sessions and we'll no doubt try and share some more insights for our partners. So thanks for that. Thanks for having me, James. Anytime. Until next time.